Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Continuing on take command, that's Logan, I'm Craig. All right, the offense. Uh, First half, second half, what changed? I mean, I really think, so what I really think happened is Detroit got a little bit more conservative. Like they were, I mean, they they, they stayed aggressive, don't get me wrong, but in terms of the types of blitzes they were running, it wasn't kind of this all out, everybody's coming to the party type stuff that they showed against Philly they showed early and and I think as a result it just allowed Carson to see the field a little bit better the offensive line to kind of provide a little bit more protection and you know I say on the whole the offensive line was fairly positive like a fairly positive thing obviously there was a couple pressures here and there but I think the backs and tight ends early on struggled kind of handling the blitzes right I think one of the things that stood out to me was uh, uh Rodrigo um Rodriguez is a very physical blitzer and I don't think again I don't think that the commander's offensive line backs tight ends were ready for that level of physicality and urgency specifically in the in the protection game but also in the run game and it just quite frankly made the offense look a little uh like sluggish and inept and just kind of confused and just um like kind of i I make an analogy to a fight like it's like if you don't like you're fighting mike tyson it's like you want to have great head movement and stay away from his right hand as long as you possibly can right and i think that they came in and were like, well, we're going to just box Mike Tyson and um, and we're going to like lean into that right hand. And that's not that's not how you should game plan. That's not how you should prep. And I think that was the thing that was a little surprising about how they came onto the field. Yeah, it seemed like when we were or when we were watching it live and, and I felt this way rewatching the TV copy as well, that like they just didn't have an urgency to get the ball out of Carson's hands. Um, they didn't really have a plan to get it out. And it was almost like they thought we can handle the pressure and they're going to be open like there's going to be big plays yeah. open down the field right. and it, then they didn't handle the pressure and they didn't have solutions for Carson. They didn't adjust fast enough to that second half. They got back to some more quick game stuff. They, they got a little bit more creative. Uh, they moved the spot. I, I know Jay Gruden was on with Russell and Medhurst and was saying, you know, one of the ways in which he always likes to handle pressure is to move the launch point of the quarterback. Right. And you saw some of that in the second half as well. Um, you know, one of the, my favorite plays that they've run all season, that leak play where Curtis Samuel sneaks up the right sideline. Like that's that's great stuff, but they, it didn't seem like they were trying any of that in the first half uh, with that kind of regularity, at least. So is that just kind of the classic halftime adjustment? Like what is that? Is that the answer of like what kind of happened in the second half in conjunction with Detroit maybe taking a half step back on the aggressiveness? I definitely think they got to more more suitable plays. I guess is the word I'm going to use there. Like the 
you know, Terry had a, t- a big, big catch. Uh, I think it was his first ca- big, like, long completion. And they ran that off of, like, a play-action pass where they're pulling the guard. And one mm-hmm. of the things that Detroit does a really nice job of is they add blitzers really readily. And so, like, they pull the guard, they cross-sift the back. And what it does is it kind of makes the blitzer say, wait, is this a run or is this – should I blitz? Right. Or, you know what I mean? And there's a, a moment of – you can see him just kind of, like, they're, they're trying to figure it out. And it just allows the guys, the offensive line, the backs to get in position, set up, and then be ready to pass protect. And I think that that kind of stuff, you know, you mentioned the leak. I think that's a great example because one of the things that Detroit was excellent at is like when they're blitzing you in the pocket, they all know how to fit in terms of the rush, right? You get guys rushing the inside shoulder of the guard so that he can't help on the blitzer to the outside shoulder of the guard, like really high level stuff from a blitzing standpoint. But when you move the pocket, all of a sudden, the, the, those questions start to pop up. So I really like that they did that. I like that they got the ball out of Carson Sands a little bit quicker. Um, and I, I, do, I do think that early on in the in the half, like specifically on the Jahan play, like there was a there was an element you could tell that Detroit was kind of like, okay, now let's just don't blow the game. And they were a little bit more conservative for a longer period of time. And I think obviously that helped out. And I, I think the thing that's disappointing though is is kind of is is the hubris that I think the team showed in coming in and saying, oh, we can handle this. Like, that's what they do. That's their punch. That's their club. That's their pitch. Like, you got to make sure you're ready for it. You got to make sure you have a very comprehensive plan for it. And I felt like that wasn't, they weren't, they weren't prepared. They were running kind of concepts that were, you know, pushing the, trying to push the ball down the field. You're inviting, you're, you're really asking a lot of the offensive line there. You're asking a lot of Carson. So again, those types of things are, um, are what stuck out to me about the first half and why I don't think it was super effective. Last but not least on the offense, real quick, you mentioned in, in the defense segment, uh, as you were touching on kind of some bigger picture themes, Gibson's name and, and how they deployed him in week yeah. one versus week two. What what in your mind could they have done more with him and, and how does his role uh, kind of need to look or what does his role need to look like these next couple of weeks until Brian Robinson gets back? So one of the things that, uh, again, you know, I think uh, Jay brought up a great point about moving the pocket another way to handle pressure is to go to empty and people say what go to empty you have less blockers in but it's easier to identify the rushers and it's easier to identify one-on-one matchups right because they have to play man if they're going to blitz that way they have to play man and the other thing they can't do is they can't add rushers right so one of the things about keeping multiple people in is like on the first play of the game you get Bates blocking the safety adds you get Gibson blocking the linebacker adds, and they're all—they're always going to be have one more guy that you can block during that philosophy, and they're really good at it. So it happens quicker than a team like that Washington, for example, that's a little bit less effective at adding in terms of rush. So gets empty, and Gibson again is a good space player. So I'm not saying it needs to be a screen, but like quick game is very viable for him. Slants, pitches, outs, that kind of stuff, and get the ball out of his hand. And the great thing about the empty stuff is if they are bringing extra pressure. We can dictate the slide. I can say hey, we're going to slide left to, to kind of wall off this pressure. I know that I'm hot off this guy right here and get the ball out of his hand. And there's going to be so much space in that defense. And if you trust your guys to win one-on-one matchups, like I would trust Gibson to beat Rodrigo or Rodriguez. Like I would trust that or Alonzo or, you know, Curtis Samuel on the third or fourth corner because their second guy was hurt. Like why not? And I, and so that was, again, I think there was a little bit of lack of innovation there. Um, and I, I don't want to be critical because it's, crazy hard to be an offensive coordinator. There's so many variables to think about, but that's sure. probably how I would have thought about using him is, is finding ways to get him out 
as opposed to having him pass protect where, like, let's be honest, that's not one of his strengths. So, like, let's speak to his strengths as a player and find ways to get him in. And if you want to go max pro, like, maybe go two tight ends and find a way to get it done with, it, with that personnel grouping because Logan Thomas and Bates both are physical in that regard and I think would match up better from a protection standpoint. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they match up against Philly. Uh, we'll obviously get to that on Friday's show. Uh, that's it for now, though. So let's bring Sheehan in. Talk about clock management. His, his favorite pastime, frankly.